So she started with a bobby pin and a TikTok account. Her name is Demi Skipper, that's her real name, and she had a plan. She was going to take that one bobby pin and trade it item after item after item until finally she went from a bobby pin to a house. After 18 months and 27 trades, along with 5 million followers on TikTok and 64 million likes to her posts, she finally did it. She went from a bobby pin to a house. Along the way, she traded that bobby pin for a cheap necklace and then eventually worked her way up to a vacuum that she traded for a snowboard and then worked her way up to an Apple TV, which she traded for some noise-canceling headphones, worked her way up to an iPhone 11, which she traded for a 2008 Dodge Caravan, until finally she traded up from a trailer to a house in Tennessee. She did this just three weeks ago or so. Here's the moment in December where she laid eyes on her new house for the first time. Take a look. Okay, can I look? Oh my God. Oh my God. trading a single bobby pin until I get a house. And I've done it. <laughs> and look at it. This just shows you it's possible. I love that story for a couple of reasons. Uh, the primary reason is this. It shows the power of trading up. What I mean by that is it shows the power of what's possible when you're willing to ask this question. What if this small thing could be a better thing? What if this small thing that I hold in my hands could be a better thing? Today we're starting a new series that is called Trading Up. And we're not talking about trading hairpins for houses or as someone nervously texted me yesterday, are we talking about spouses? Like, no, we are most definitely not talking about spouses. We're talking about a series of trades that you could say Jesus invites his followers to make each and every day. Jesus famously said in the Gospel of John, I have come so that you may have life and have life to the full. The implication is this, that there is a manner of living, a way of being that Jesus says is fuller and greater and better than what is offered by our broken world or what is instinctively desired by our broken, sinful human hearts. It's a life of, of greater purpose and deeper joy. It's a life of peace and so much more. But, but this life, it, it doesn't just happen on its own. You could say that it, it involves a trade each and every day. Each and every day that you get up, if you're a follower of Jesus, the world hands you a whole bunch of crummy stuff. And your own broken heart assumes a whole lot of terrible things. 
And you have the opportunity to take what is in your heart and in your hands each and every day and say, Lord Jesus, I know that you have guaranteed this for me or promised that for me. If I give you this small thing, could you give me this better thing? You've promised peace. Can I have some peace? I'll give you some of my anxiety for peace. You've promised hope, that I have hope in you. I'll give you some of my anger for your hope. Will you take the bobby pin of my frustrations and give me a house of hope to live in? Can I trade up to that? Each and every day, you have the opportunity to take what the world hands you and what your heart instinctively desires and say, Jesus, are you willing to make a terrible trade with me? To allow me to hand you this meager thing that I have and you give me the thing that you've won and you've earned and you've promised me. That's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to start here. We're going, to start, we're going to start talking about trading pessimism for positivity. Or rather than positivity, you could say hopefulness. Trading pessimism for positivity or hopefulness that it is given to us and guaranteed for us in Jesus. Now, I know that some of you look at that and go, oh, well, I'm not a pessimistic person. Not everything we talk about in this series is going to hit hit you square between the eyes or right in the heart. One of these will. But maybe you are an extremely positive, glass-half-full person already. Good for you. But maybe, maybe you're one of the people who is not just a glass-half-empty person, but you're a throw-it-on-the-floor-everything's-awful-we're-all-gonna-die kind of person. Don't point at them. You know they exist. It's hard not to be that kind of person in this particular moment that human beings find themselves living in, is it? Pessimism, its close cousin cynicism, seems to be almost celebrated in today's day and age. Which, which makes sense when, when you think about the moment that we live in. It's a byproduct of living in a world that is wrestling with some awful things, like, like the hyper-partisanship that we see in our politics. How can you not be cynical when you see that? Or the back and forth about climate change and who's responsible for it and how we're going to fix it, if you believe in it, like all of that, like all of that. It's, a, it's hard not to be negative with that going on. Or an ongoing pandemic or massive inflation or a world fighting over issues of equality. These are not small things. It's understandable if, if you look at the scope of what we're wrestling with as human beings, you go, wow, this glass might not be half empty. It might be full of awful things. The world is overflowing with bad. And it's been that way for a long time. But here's the thing we need to be aware of. Regardless of what the world is filled with, pessimism and cynicism are a different thing. And for, for people of faith, pessimism, cynicism, that, that kind of constant negativity, it, it is like a poison pill the negativity that you allow yourself to swallow, that you insist on holding in your hands, what it does is it eventually corrupts your vision. And then it fills your heart and it starts to shape everything you see and how you live. If you, if you swallow the pill of pessimism, if you're not careful, you start to wear it. You start to carry it all the time. You feel it. And when people look at you, they see it until you become the living, breathing version of this meme. 
That poor girl, she's like in her late 20s now. She's going to be always known as the side-eye kid. But if you swallow the poison pill of pessimism, you become that all the time and then some to the rest of the world. And nobody wants to be that. Here's the good news for followers of Jesus. Jesus has something greater for you than the cynicism that this world wants us to echo back. Jesus has something greater for you than the negativity that this world, albeit terribly broken, wants us to echo back. The invitation of Jesus is that you would take that pessimism, that negativity that so easily sits in your hands and in your heart, that you would take it and you would trade it for for positivity, hopefulness, and joy that he has earned for you. And that your life might be marked with more hopefulness than it is negativity. See, this story in Luke's gospel illustrates the problem really well. So as we just heard, Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. And as he's headed towards Jerusalem, he walks past a group of lepers. Uh, Lepers were people who were dealing with various kind of unknown skin diseases of their time, and they were, they were forced to be together away from the general population because people didn't want to catch it. They were considered ceremonially, ritualistically unclean, and so they were off to the side with no home of their own, left to be lepers together. And so Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. He passes a leper, co- leper colony of about 10 people, and they see him, and they call out to him, and they're like, oh, you're the, you're the miracle-working rabbi. Fix us. Heal us. And so Jesus turns to the 10 lepers and he says, okay, head to the priests and present yourselves as clean. Now, again, in order for them to regain general society, the way it worked back then, you had to go to the priest. The priest would pronounce you ceremonially, ritualistically, and physically clean from your disease, and then you could rejoin regular society. And so Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest that you are made clean. And then, because they believe him, and they head towards the priest, they're healed. And it's a miracle. All ten are healed as they head towards the temple. All ten are healed. But here's the thing. Only one of them shouts for joy. Only one of them turned back in praise. Only one, it seems, is overcome with gratitude. And this, it it seems, catches Jesus by surprise. Jesus says this in verse 17. We're not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? It's interesting, isn't it? All ten of them received the same undeserved, unexpected, miraculous gift. All had the same reason to be joyful. All had every reason to be overcome with gratitude. But only one expressed it. If you're here as a, as a baptized follower of Jesus, then, then what you need to know as you read this text is that you and I, the, the baptized, the followers of Jesus, we are the lepers. We are the ten who have been healed. We're the ones who've been seen by Jesus, touched by Jesus, who have called out to him and received mercy from Jesus, who have believed and been helped and been saved. We're the ones who have been filled with overwhelming joy because of Jesus. We all have the same reason to give him praise and be joyful. And yet, why is it 
that so many of us, just like with these 10 lepers, so many of us, having received this gift, we just keep on walking through life as if we're still stuck in our troubles and itching on the side of the road. Why is it that we tend to be more like the nine than the one? Here's why, and this is worth taking note of. One of the many things that this little story tells us about the human condition is this, that as sinful, broken human beings, it is possible to receive the gift that God gives, but forsake the joy it's meant to bring. It's possible to receive the gift. All 10 got the gift. And the same reason for rejoicing. But it's possible to receive the gift and forsake the joy. And many of us, though we have been given the greatest gift that can ever be given, we walk around like we're still stuck on the side of the road itching our problems and that's all we've got. When in reality, you have been touched loved, seen, and healed by the Lord. Followers of Jesus, you and I, we have every reason to be glass half full, hopeful, positive, joyful people. I don't care what's going on in your life. And I know that in this room, there's a whole lot of problems represented There's a whole lot of dark clouds hanging over you, hanging over me, hanging over them. I'm not negating any of our problems, but even with all of our problems that sit in the pew next to us, we have every reason in the world to be joyful. Let me me remind you of some of the reasons that you have to be joyful because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, all right? Starting here. You know that terrible thing that you did when you were 23? You know what I'm talking about. The thing that every time you think of it, you still like will sit up in bed and shudder and go, oh, I can't believe I did that. You know that thing? That thing has been paid for by Jesus Christ, suffered for by Jesus Christ. Through his death and resurrection, that thing that you can't forgive yourself for has been forgiven by Jesus Christ. God doesn't see it when he sees you. How incredible is that? Not only that, that awful thing that you heard about in the news this morning, the, the, the latest existential crisis, like it's horrific, isn't it? It's terrible. We should all fight against it and we should love and serve those who are laboring underneath it, who are suffering because of it. And yet this, this is so good. Jesus has promised that whatever that is, the latest thing that is an existential threat to us, whatever that is, that you, this world, me, him, will not be defeated by it. Goodness, light, and love are going to win out no matter what's getting all the attention today that's horrible in the headlines. Goodness, light, and love are going to win out when Jesus comes back. What a relief! Oh, and that seemingly impossible task that you are avoiding like the plague. You know which one. The the one that you don't even know where to begin with, where to start with. All you know is that you need to start and you haven't started yet. You keep putting it off and you stay up late thinking about it. It's the conversation you you don't want to have. It's the task you don't want to deal with. It's too hard. It's too painful. You don't know where to begin. Jesus has promised that his own Holy Spirit lives in you. 
And that his spirit lives in you by virtue of your belief and your baptism. His spirit lives inside of you to strengthen you for that thing you don't want to do. Specifically for the difficult but necessary things. Not only that, but he's promised that as you deal with that pain, if, if you wrestle with those problems with his spirit, it has the same effect, even better than like going hard at the gym five days a week. If you deal with the difficult thing with the power of his spirit, you'll be sore, you'll be roughed up, but you'll be stronger as a result and glad you did it. And this last one, this is amazing. You, you know how... Um, you know how you struggle not to hate yourself? You know how super critical you are of the way that you look and, and how you're worried that like, the work that you do professionally never measures up to other people or how you're constantly comparing yourself to your friend from high school who seems to have like, the most perfect existence as you look at social media. Get this, Jesus has secured God the Father's favor toward you. I know you don't think favorably of yourself, but Jesus has secured the favor of God for you. What that means is God, God is infinitely more kind and compassionate and satisfied with you than you are with yourself. Let me say that again. God is infinitely more kind, compassionate, and satisfied with you than you are with yourself. The work of Jesus Christ covers you. And so now when God the Father looks at you, he sees someone that he loves. I know that you don't like you. But the only opinion that matters, like truly, is favorable toward you, to say the least. When God looks at you, he loves what he sees. Now, I'm just scratching the surface, like barely, of some of the things that are true for you and true for me. And these truths are meant to lay a foundation of joy. They're meant to spark just a little bit of hopefulness and peace and positivity in you and then, and then shape how you see and how you engage the world. I mean, think of all the things in a terrible world that are wonderfully, gloriously true for you. Like no matter who you are, everything I just said and then a million things more are all yours. And it's done. It's complete. It's in your pocket. It's yours. Think of how incredible that is. It's all yours. Now, now the question is this. So then, well, how do I make that trade? If all that's true for me, then, then how do I, on a daily basis, take the, the pessimism, the negativity, the cynicism that the world is just asking me to join the chorus of, and how do I, how do I hand it to Jesus and then receive some of this joy that, that you say should be mine? What does that look like? Well, again, I think the text for today is instructive. We see a joyful, positive, healed leper. Let's look at him and what he does, and maybe it's instructive for us. So what's the first thing we see the leper do? He's healed, and then in verse 15 it says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back toward Jesus. He saw that he was healed, and he turned back toward Jesus. 
You might think I'm making something out of nothing here, but I think this is something. I think, among other things that we can do, I think we begin to trade up to positivity and hopefulness that is ours in Jesus Christ when we actually turn back toward him and we fix our eyes on him. Now, you might be thinking, oh, Matt, that's really kind of a, a, like a pat church answer. Look to Jesus. I know, but here's the thing. My instinct and yours is to look everywhere else all the time as life happens to me, good, bad, and otherwise. I look at the world around me, and there's a lot of good gifts in the world. There's a lot of help. There's a lot of comfort that can come from the world. But the help and the comfort that I ultimately need will not come from the world. In the end, what the world will give me, if I try to apply it to the depth of the problems that I have, what the world will give me is more pessimism, more skepticism, more pressure, more anxiety, more problems to solve. If I try to ask it to do things that it cannot do for me, solve problems that Jesus has already solved for me. And yet what do I do? Good things happen, bad things happen, in between things happen, and I'm just scrolling my phone. I'm reading more articles. I'm taking in more media. I'm looking everywhere but at him. If your instinct in life is to just scroll more, consume more of what this world has to offer, then don't be surprised when what the world has to offer starts to flow through you. There's a word we like to use in the Christian faith. It's discipleship. And it's just a fancy word for being formed by information and repetition. Information you take in and repetition you engage in forms you. It's not a matter of if, but what and how. All of it forms you. You're being discipled each and every day by that which you consume, by that which you fix your eyes on. And, and if you're trying to trade up to positivity and hopefulness that is ours in Jesus Christ, yet there is no fixing your eyes on him, consuming the promises that he gives to you, the work that he's done for you, repetitiously going to the person and work of Jesus Christ, then that's not forming you. What's forming you is your news feed. What's forming you is Fox News or MSNBC. What's forming you is your For You page on TikTok. It's not just info. It is discipleship. And here's the thing. What you take in takes root every single time. What you take in takes root. And what takes root bears fruit. And what is the fruit in your hands is what you have to live with. And if all you consume is the stuff of this world, it takes root, it bears fruit, and I guarantee you the bulk of it is not hopefulness, joy, unshakable peace. You know what it is? It's anxiety. That's the fruit of cultural discipleship. If you want to hold to the peace that Jesus gives, make one of your turns toward him his word, his promises, his gifts, his goodness. More of that in a minute. 
Now, it's not just where you focus and where your gaze goes to trade up for positivity. It's also what you see when you look to Jesus. I'm not, I'm not naive enough to think that when we, when we think about Jesus or we reflect on Jesus or we try to look towards the person and work of Jesus that we all see the same thing. You've got baggage, I've got baggage. It goes with me everywhere I go. And very often, the baggage you have and I have, it influences our understanding of the person of Jesus. It's shaped by the pessimism, the cynicism, and the negativity that's all around us. So I can't just say, fix your eyes on Jesus. As a good pastor, I have to ask you this question. What do you see when you look at him? When you think about God, when you reflect on Christ, what do you see? What comes to mind? What do you feel? We, we trade up for positivity when we're able to perceive the love and the power and the goodness of Jesus. But, but very often, we see something else. You know, some of you see Jesus as a taskmaster, someone who may have saved you but is now demanding perfection from you. And so when you look at Jesus and you see a taskmaster, eventually what you're going to get is not joy but bitterness. Some of you look at Jesus and you see someone who apparently is passive and detached from the pains of life because you still have problems all around you despite your prayers. And as you look to Jesus who doesn't seem in your estimation to be doing enough, eventually you're going to get angry at him. That's what you're going to hold, not joy. Or maybe you see Jesus as the source or the excuse of some religious trauma that you experienced in your family as a child. And so when you look to Jesus or think to Jesus, you want to shut down or retreat or run from Jesus because it just points you to that pain of your past. And I want, I want, I, I want you to know, I get all that. But I want you to know what you're seeing is not Jesus. What you're seeing is your stuff. But what did the leper see when he turned back towards Jesus? What did he see? Verses 15 through 16. When he saw that he was healed, he turned back praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. You know what he saw when he looked at Jesus? He saw the giver of the best gift that he'd ever received, and he saw someone who was worthy of praise and who could be trusted with his tears. Now, now here's why this is really, really fascinating, because the Samaritan had every reason, even after being healed, to be skeptical and cynical towards Jesus. Super quick overview of the history. The reason Luke points out that he's a Samaritan is because the Samaritans were hated by the Jewish people. Uh, they were considered heretics and, 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 and bad people and outsiders, and they were treated very poorly. They were, they were, they were on the receiving end of, of hateful, if not outright racist, attacks from the Jewish people who themselves felt like they were being attacked. And, you know, everybody loves a dog to kick, and the Samaritans were kicked by the Jews. And so he had every, every right, you could say, to receive this healing from Jesus and then look at him and go, why'd you do that? You're going to spit on me like the other people do? What are you up to? What's the catch? He had every right to flinch at the grace of Jesus. And yet what does he do? For whatever reason, he sets that baggage aside and all he sees is Jesus who loves him, who saw him, who's chosen him, and who's healed him. That's what he sees. That's what he sees. If you really struggle with negativity, and I know some of us here do, if you really struggle with negativity, what I would say to you is be mindful of this. I think your core issue behind the pessimism and the cynicism, the core issue is fear. Fear of being hurt, fear of 
not being enough to meet the challenge of, of what might come at you in this world, fear of being let down, often it is fear. And here's what you need to know when you look at Jesus. Don't, don't let that baggage get in the way of how you see him. When you look at Jesus, here's who you need to see. What you need to see is a God who is good. And he's powerful. And he's trustworthy. I know you got other stuff that you can peer through to see him. Whatever you do to push that aside, do it. You have a God who is good, who is powerful, and who is trustworthy. He can handle your fears, your needs are not a problem, and your weakness is safe with him. If you want more joy to flow through you, fix your eyes on him, set your issues aside and see him for who he really is, someone who sees you, chooses you, loves you, saves you, forgives you, no matter who you are. The third piece here is, it's not just where we look, it's not just making sure we see Jesus rightly, that secures our joy, but it's also connected to the words that we say. Obvious statement of the morning, your words have power, not just over others, but primarily over you. Your words have power over you. We trade up for positivity when we speak words of gratitude to God. Proverbs 18, verse 21, many of you know this. It's worth repeating and memorizing. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who live it, will love it, will eat its fruits. What does the leper do after he runs back to Jesus and falls at his feet? It says this in verse 16, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving Jesus thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. You know, this is the only time in the New Testament, the only time in all 27 books of the New Testament where anyone personally thanks Jesus. A lot of people say thank you, in general, to God. A lot of people say thank you, Lord, thank you, God. But this is the only instance in all 27 books of the New Testament where Jesus is thanked. It says he praised God and he thanked Jesus. He thanked him. Now again, consider the baggage that he carries by being a Samaritan. He sets cynicism and skepticism aside and he just says, I've been healed, you did it, thank you. How how different do you think your experience of life would be, your sense of your own life would be if as an expression of your faith in Jesus, you were quick and constant in speaking words of gratitude to Jesus? Do you think if you, like audibly, actually, on a regular basis, you went through your day, and in response to big things or small things, you you actually were like, you paused, you stopped, you're like, thank you, Jesus, for that. Like, if you were more constant in that, do you think it would change things? Do you believe that life and death is in the power of the tongue? Not just life and death or others, but your own life and livelihood and joy is in the power of the tongue. That if you recognize that you're blessed, it comes from him, and you've got the good stuff in your hands, that if you vocalize, you say that, that that will change your life a little bit? I think it will. I think it so much that we're going to practice it, okay? I made up some things. And after everything I say, I'm going to point to you, and you're going to say, thank you, Jesus. Let's practice it. You You guys are very good at taking directions. Thank you, Jesus. All right? Let's say you've been battling cancer. Your five-year scan comes back cancer-free. Let's say you struggle at work with not... um, 
not hurting your coworker. You have a day at work where you didn't scream at your colleague. You have kids like my son who like to get up at 5.30, but there's a, a Saturday morning where they slept in past 7. Or maybe you're struggling with addiction and there's two months, two solid months without a drink. Or you woke up at two in the morning last night wondering if your house was going to float away. And then this morning, your house was still standing. It has power, doesn't it? Words have power. This is trite, but it's true. If you want to change your view of the world, change the verbs that you use. Watch what happens. If you want to change your view, change your verbs. If you want to see and feel the gift of life, give thanks audibly with your voice to the one who gave your life and saved your life. Now, I I understand the objection that some will have to this. There might be some sitting here saying, Matt, I know what you're doing. I get it. Like, I appreciate it. But you, you are, in essence, asking us to be fake. You're asking us to gloss over the difficulties of life and just walk around going, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's all fine. It's good. No reason to be sad here. Thank you, Lord. That is not what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to live life with a plastic smile. I'm telling you to make the joy that is yours, no matter what, more operative in your life. Christian joy is not about denying the darkness of life. No, we recognize it. Christian joy is not about denying the darkness of life. It's just believing that the darkness will lift. Oh, it's dark. But the darkness lifts. In Jesus Christ. It's about living in such a way that that becomes operative for you, becomes the lens through which you view things and the mark that you leave on the world. What do you want to leave the world? I bet you want to leave joy. I'll give you a challenge for this month. I want you to spend the rest of this month, the rest of January, taking Jesus up on this trade. And here's how this might look for you. I want you to be more mindful of where you look. Look towards him. Spend some time looking at him. Be mindful of what you see. Make sure you're not just seeing your baggage, you're seeing Jesus. And be mindful of what you say. Be a person who gives thanks. So when you drop on the couch at the end of the day, rather than just scroll your phone, which I know is so hard not to do because it's delightful. And like hours go by. Like I'm there too. But maybe you take like, you know, 15 of those 50 minutes you do in that doom scroll, and you actually read some of his words. Like, you, it's, 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 what's really cool is that they're all bound up in one book for you. You can get them all in one book. It's the most popular book that's ever been sold. And also, they have apps now. Wonderful. Like, maybe you just read some of his words in the middle of your doom scroll. That's, that's what it's about. Or, or as you're driving in the car each morning or each evening, rather than fill that small space with more noise. What if you take one of the promises proclaimed in these songs or the sermon or this confession and absolution or the Apostles' Creed that you you confess today, you took one of those promises and in the silence of that car ride, you just pondered that, like you chewed on it in your heart and mind and swirled it around. What if this is really true, that there's nothing I can do that can make God love me less? You ponder that, you chew on that for 15 minutes before you turn on the True Crime podcast. Or maybe next week when you come into this place, as you sit in your pew, you say to yourself, you actually say, you pray, Lord, fill me up 
with the joy and the hopefulness that comes from you. Rather than walking in here, and I know what some of you do, I know what some of you do, rather than walking in here and mumbling to yourself, all right, let's get this done. Or make a commitment to speak two thank yous to Jesus for every one complaint to a coworker. Oh, you would be giving thanks so much. <laughs> Take up that challenge. Make that trade intentionally for a few weeks. And then come back here and tell me with a straight face that the peace that you feel, the positivity that's more palpable, the joy that is in your hands is somehow false or inauthentic or fake. I dare you. You won't, because it won't be. It'll be real. Try it. What do you have to lose? What I love about Demi's story is that it's not over. The girl who traded a paperclip for a house is going to do it again. You see, Demi uh, has a good job. She's got a great place to live already. She plans to fully renovate this little home that she's traded up for, And then what she's going to do is she's going to trade it to someone in need. And all she's going to ask in return is a bobby pin. You see, that's the beauty of trading up. When you experience the power of something small going to something better, you want to share that with somebody else. And it becomes not just about what you've received. It becomes about how you can impact and change the world. It becomes about what you can leave behind. Do you want to leave behind joy? Do you want to have kids in your house and people in your life who, because of your willingness to trade up, they're able to say, well, I used to know this person or that person or that person, or my mom taught me this, that it's dark but the darkness is going to lift. So we're going to be good. May you trade the pessimism of this world for the hopefulness that's found in Jesus. May you look to him and may you really see him and how much he loves you and may you give thanks to him for you are loved by him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have every reason in the world to be a hopeful people. There are so many things in this world that are, that are beckoning us, calling us to, to join the chorus of negativity and cynicism, to see the world as this, uh, this, this terrible place and that we're all kind of going down with the ship. We know that's not true. Father, help us to be a a counter-culturally hopeful people that while the rest of the world is, is thinking that the brokenness of this world is all there is, we're able to say, oh, we know it's bad and we're going to help the pains and the problems. We're going to ease the discomforts. But ultimately, we know that the darkness lifts and joy comes in the morning and may the hope that we have in the face of everybody else's anxiety and pessimism and negativity, may the fact that we see the glass half full with love and mercy and forgiveness, may that so shape us and transform us that the rest of the world can't help but be intrigued and compelled 
world to come to know us and our Jesus who gives us unshakable joy. Make us those people. Make us that church, Lord Jesus. Take our bobby pins of bad stuff and make us homes of hope and love and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.